one of the most famous songs that has um, come about around uh, Christmas, we hear it every year, is the song, Mary, Did You Know? And it was uh, written by a guy by the name of um, Mark Lowry. Mark Lowry is a Christian comedian and, and uh, singer, and there's a picture of me about 10 years ago with uh, Mark Lowry, and you can see uh, the Shekinah glory uh, behind us. Either that or uh, there was some backlighting at the uh, Irving uh, uh, Convention Center, one of the two. But anyway, uh, and the, the amazing thing about this picture is that both Mark Lowry and I have humongous heads. I mean, we just have huge skulls. And so, you know, the photographer was about 100 yards away, had to do panoramic, and this is what they got. So anyway, uh, Mark Lowry and I, we... Uh, uh, we came up with this song, not really, it was his song, uh, but Mary Did You Know, and it's a beautiful song. It talks about whether Mary knew uh, in her mind, and her heart, and her soul uh, exactly who this child was that she had given birth to. And uh, the answer to the question, and it's a good question, did Mary know who this baby was? And uh, the answer to the question is no, uh, she didn't. Uh, you know, she was one of the first ones to hear, but being the first to hear doesn't mean you're the first to understand. In fact, she, she really didn't understand the totality of who this child was, even though she had the angel uh, tell her, uh, even though uh, after the, the angel came and, and spoke to her and gave her this prophecy, and, and she spoke to her betrothed, and he spoke with an angel as well and, and told her uh, that message as well, and so... Uh, they, of course, decided to uh, remain married or to get married soon. And um, the, the scriptures tell us that when the angel came to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, that she was deeply troubled by this message. She was wondering what kind of greeting this angel was giving to her. In fact, not only had all of that happened, uh, but then even later uh, when, when uh, she gave birth, the shepherds came, and, and they had seen a whole host of angels. And they came to see this baby, this king of Israel. And she contemplated these things in her heart. And, and previous to all of that, she had uh, talked to her cousin Elizabeth, who herself was with child. And, and Elizabeth uh, praised Mary and, and, and uh, gave thanks to God for what God was doing through the baby that Mary would soon give birth to. And then even after all of that, after uh, 40 days of purification, Mary and Joseph would go with the baby infant, uh, in, with, with the infant into the temple area. And uh, they, uh, they would be encountered by this guy named Simeon. Who just, they didn't know. They, he just happened to be there at the time. And he recognized this Jesus, this baby, as being the salvation of all of Israel and a light to the Gentiles. And then after that... Anna was there in the temple as well, and she gave testimony as well. And so then they went home, and, and uh, at some point later on, the Magi came. And uh, they, they showered Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus with all these gifts, with gold and frankincense and myrrh, these incredibly expensive gifts. And, and shortly after that, they understood what Herod was about to do. And so they, they took off, and they went to Egypt. And they waited for word when Herod finally had died, and then they returned. They went to, they went to Nazareth. 
their hometown, and there they raised Jesus together. And then after 12 years, uh, they decided to go back to Jerusalem and to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. So here they are 12 years later with a 12-year-old Jesus. They're going to Jerusalem. And uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 28, or excuse me, verse 48, here's what we read about this, this incredible story because after they go to the temple and they worship God in the temple, they go to the festival, uh, the, there's this big caravan of people, and they all start heading home to Nazareth together. And after a while, they're wondering, where's Jesus? They're looking for him. He's not around. They search through the crowd, asking everybody. Nobody had seen Jesus. And finally, uh, they, they made their way back to Jerusalem to find him. We know what happened to him. This is unheard of. And so they go back to Jerusalem. They're looking all over Jerusalem. They finally go to the temple area, and uh, they, they see him there in the temple. And when his parents saw him in Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 48, uh, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? I mean, she sounds just like a Jewish mother, really like any mother who lost their child at the store or something like that. You know, what, what are you doing? And so mom's pretty upset here. Why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says to her, Woman, why were you searching for me? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was 12 years old and I told my mother, Woman, I wouldn't be here today. But Jesus got away with it. Jesus said, Woman, why were you searching for me? He asked them. And then he said, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? And then verse 50 says something very important. And I want you to understand, after Elizabeth's testimony, after an angel visited uh, Joseph, an angel visited Mary, after uh, the shepherds came, after this miraculous birth, after... The Magi came after they spoke to Simeon, after they spoke with Anna, and after they fled to Egypt and God protected them and they went back. After all of this time, did she finally understand who her son really was? The next verse says, but they did not understand what he had said to them. Mary didn't know who her son really was. But there was somebody who understood. And there was somebody that we mentioned already. Her name was Anna. Anna understood who Jesus was. So again, after Jesus' birth, Mary goes through this ritual of purification. It takes 40 days after the birth of a male. And at the end of this 40 days... She is given a ritualistic uh, type of bath, a ceremonial bath. And she goes to the temple and she presents an offering. And by presenting the offering, her days of uh, impurity are over. And now she's, she's pure again and she can worship the Lord in the temple. And so they go with the baby Jesus. She and Joseph and Mary go into the temple area. And they present Jesus as the firstborn of their family, they present him to the Lord and they redeem him. They purchase him from having to do service in the temple, as was the custom. And Mary gave her offering, 
And then, out of all of the hundreds, really literally the thousands of people there in that incredible temple area, up walks a guy, Simeon. They don't know this guy. Simeon sees Jesus among the crowd. He sees Mary and Joseph. And there's children there. There's adults. There's grandparents. There's all kinds of people there. And Simeon, though, because he had the Spirit of God resting upon him, the Spirit of God revealed to Simeon who this baby was. And Simeon walked over to where Mary and Joseph were. And he picked up the baby Jesus. And he said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Simeon can die now, literally, because he has seen the Savior. There's somebody else in the temple. It's an old lady, Anna. Anna's reaction is different when she sees Jesus. Here's what we read about Anna. Three little verses in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me tell you a little bit about Anna. Her name, probably spoken in that day in Hebrew, was Hannah. And her namesake was the Hannah that we know of in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, which is one of the most incredible characters in all of the Old Testament. Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel, and Samuel was the one who anointed King David. So we're talking about over a thousand years before, this lady Hannah. And Hannah was a woman that was very devoted to prayer, very persistent in prayer. And she prayed one of the greatest prayers in all of the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In fact, that prayer is one of the earliest Hebrew poems in existence. Hannah, the Hannah of a thousand years before, she was a model of persistence in prayer. She was a model of someone who surrendered herself to God's will, and her, the one who is named after her a thousand years later, Anna, in Luke chapter 2, models these same characteristics. And so we read again in verse 36 of Luke 2, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. She's called a prophetess. In fact, she's the only woman called a prophetess in all of the, all of the New Testament. 
Now, they're certainly in about 30 years later, over 30 years later, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, there were men and women who prophesied about Jesus. And certainly in Acts chapter 21, you have Philip the evangelist. He had four virgin daughters, and they were said to all prophesy. But none of them were explicitly given this title prophetess. And I'm not exactly sure what to make of that, but I find it interesting that Anna, of all the women in the New Testament, was the only one called a prophetess. Well, what, what is it that a prophet does or a prophetess does? What, what, what do they do? Do they simply foretell the future? You know, is it that? Is it something else? Well, we're going to see from Anna's example exactly what a prophet or a prophetess does. She's called a daughter of Phanuel. She's uh, said to be from the tribe of Asher. We don't know anything really about Phanuel, but we know a little bit about the tribe of Asher. And you know, when you get to the New Testament, Jewish tribes really usually aren't that important. I mean, there's only four people in the New Testament that, who were told who, what tribe they belonged to. It's just not one of the more critical things that we need to, uh, to know about. But here's the interesting thing about Asher, okay? Asher was one of the tribes that was taken off to Babylon, captured in Babylon hundreds of years before, and they never came back. Asher is considered one of the lost tribes of Israel. And yet in her family, they kept the genealogies. They kept the records. And so she knew where she came from. And for, for some reason, Luke tells us that she's a part of this tribe. Why is that important to Luke's story? Again, I'm not 100% sure, but maybe it had to do with the vitality of her at her advanced age. Here's what Moses said about the tribe of Asher in Deuteronomy 33, verse 25. He said, your strength will equal your days. And so here's this lady, very advanced in age, and she's not bedridden, but she has almost supernatural strength serving the Lord in the temple. And it says that she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Here's this lady. She was a widow for 84 years. Now, typically in that culture, a woman would be married at age 14. And so if she was married for seven years, she would have been 21 when she would have been widowed. Then 84 years after that, this lady's 105 years old. And she was single for all of those years, from age 21 to 105. And she did not leave the temple. She served God night and day with fasting and prayers. I'll tell you what Anna is. Anna is the ideal example of a celibate Christian. Someone who devotes their life, not to marriage and kids, but devotes their life solely to the Lord. Celibacy is a ministry, it is a spiritual gift, you might say, that God gives some Christians. Because when you're single, you can devote yourself to the Lord. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 7. And, and by the way, I would just say this before, we, uh, read these, before I read these verses to you. There's a tendency among Christians that are married to look upon Christians that are single and say, what's wrong with you? That's not proper. In fact, we might discover from these verses there's something wrong with us who are married. Maybe the single Christians have something figured out that we don't. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I wish that all people were as I am. He means single. But each has its own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Because of the present distress, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. I'm not going to ask for any hands to be raised of those that are married that would testify that, yes, you have trouble in this life. Let's move on before I get myself in trouble. I want you to be without concerns, Paul says. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world. How he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. He goes on. He says the unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. So that she may be holy. Both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Then Paul says, I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Here's this lady, Anna. 21 years old and widowed, probably would have made a fine bride for some other man. But she decided she would devote herself to the Lord and good for her. And at some point in Anna's life, she decided to go to the temple and live there. Now, I want you to understand the temple complex back in that day. It wasn't like this church building, okay? I mean, if any one of you... Uh, comes up to me after the service and you say, Pastor, I want to live here in this church building for the rest of my life. I'm going to say, no. You got to go home. This is not your place. You got to go. In fact, I will tell you that this building is not the church. You are. This building is not the temple of God. You are. And so when you go home after we have this worship service, which you shall do, you're going to take the church with you. You're going to take the temple with you. And I want you to know something. You are like Anna. She never left the temple. Neither do you. Because you are the temple of God. 
And by the way, the whole idea of never leaving the temple, that's the part that amazes us, that she never left the temple complex. But that's not the most important part. The never leaving the temple part, we've got that down because we are the temple. Okay? It's the other part that we have to work on. What is that? The fasting and the prayers. Because that is where the power of God is. That is where the movement of God is. And I'll just say this very, very simply. If you have gotten away from praying, if you would come to me and say, Oh, Pastor, I've lost my prayerlessness. I I don't know what to do. I, I just don't pray like I should. I don't pray like I used to. I'm going to give you some very wise advice. Start praying again. Okay, it's really not that difficult. It's really not that hard. If you've gotten away from praying, get back at it. It's just a matter of doing. It's just a matter of praying. Okay, and so that is the answer to prayerlessness. What? Prayer is the answer to prayerlessness. And so that's the part of Anna that we should really strive to emulate, the fasting and the praying, the devoting of her life spiritually to God, not simply the place where she chose to dwell. In the last verse we read, at that very moment she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love this story, this incident. It's one incident, really. It's one story of Simeon and Anna. Because this is one time when Jesus and his parents, his earthly parents, came to the temple and they encountered both of these people. And Simeon and Anna give us a a very interesting, eclectic mix of two very godly people devoted to the Lord. Simeon happened to come to the temple that day. The Spirit of God led him to come to the temple that day. He didn't live there. He happened to go that day, directed by the Spirit of God. But Anna, she lived there. Simeon is not called a prophet by Luke here in chapter 2. But what does he do? He prophesies. Anna is called a prophetess. And what does she do? She thanks God for this baby that she's seen. But I want you to understand the very biggest difference between Simeon and Anna. You see, when Simeon saw Jesus, he said, I can die now. When Anna saw Jesus, she said, I've got to tell somebody. Do you see the difference? There are many Christians who think, I've got salvation. I'm just ready for heaven. I can die now. No need for me to be here on this earth anymore. Just take me home, Lord. I'm ready. But Anna said, I see the salvation. The salvation that's come to the world and has come to me. I'm not ready to die. Anna, you're 105. What do you mean you're not ready to die? I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody about this Jesus that I know. 
Anna was an incredible, incredible woman. Can you imagine being there that day, being a, a faithful Jew that day, and you're waiting You've learned the scriptures and you know that the Messiah is going to come someday. And you're waiting for the Messiah to come. And maybe you've lost all hope that he'll never come in my lifetime. And so you're waiting for the Messiah to come and you decide you're going to go to the temple and you're going to worship God in the temple. You're waiting for Jerusalem to be redeemed. You're waiting for God to fulfill all of his promises. And so that day you go into the temple and you're there to worship God as you've done countless times before. And you're praying that God might bring his salvation that day. And there's Anna. Oh, there's old Anna. She's here all the time. Every time you go to the temple, here's Anna. Doesn't she ever go home? Apparently not. Here's Anna. And this time Anna seems to be a little bit different. You, I mean, you've seen her many times before. She's there all the time. But this time something's different. Something's different about Anna. And Anna looks you in the eyes and she says to you, Salvation has come. And you're looking around, what do you mean? Salvation has come. How can salvation have come? I still see the Roman soldiers here. We're not free. What do you mean salvation has come? And she says, right here, this child, this baby, this baby is going to bring God's salvation to us. This baby, his name is Jesus. This baby, his name is Yeshua. His name means Yahweh is salvation, and he's come. He's here. So what do you do? What do you do? I mean, are you going to believe the word of this old woman? This crazy lady that doesn't even go home? A woman so dedicated to God that she's remained single for eight decades? You're going to believe her? Or do you think, ah, she's probably just senile, you know? And so you go about your worship of God there at the temple. You and I face the same issue today. Do we dismiss these words as the words of some, just the foolish ramblings of some ancient superstitious people? I mean, we're so, we're so sophisticated now, aren't we? With our computers and our airplanes and everything that we have. Why should we pay attention to the ancient ramblings of foolish superstitious people back then? Or will you say, I believe, I believe. I want you to know, this room today is filled with many people who live in the same incredible, sophisticated world that you do. And they have said, I believe. I believe what this book says about this baby, this baby Jesus. 
Do you believe today?